We're talking about the triumphal entry, and um, if you're if you're new to church, it's it's uh, it's it's one of Jesus's like big arrivals. The other ones at Christmas, right? So if you if you do church in, in two times of a year, maybe you do Christmas, you do Easter. Okay, you should know this story because it's it's close to Easter, Easter Sunday. All right. So the triumphal entry, and, and the thing about it, it's it's when Jesus shows up to Jerusalem the week that he's crucified. So he shows up on on Palm Sunday, and it's a big party. Everybody's excited to see him. But then by Thursday night, things get a little rough. Sunday they kill him. Then it gets really exciting. Well, for the next little bit, it's not because he's dead. But then he comes back on Sunday. Sorry, spoiler alert. That's what we're going to celebrate next Sunday. But we learn a lot about someone by the way they arrive, don't we? Like you have different people in your life and they arrive like into a room, like the way someone would arrive. Like you probably have some, we'll give them names. Like I got a couple names. Like there's, there's Susie, the quiet slider. You got one, a friend like that. They just kind of slide into a room real quiet and they sit in the back and sit down. You don't even know, you don't even know Sally's there. She just shows up. Did you, are you a magician? How did you do that? Right? So you know about her personality that way. You have somebody, you might have Sammy the smiler, right? He comes into a room and he just comes in. He's just like, hey. Scott, right? You're just, you're just, Sammy's always smiling. And even if it's a bad day, it says, because he's just smiling at you. Before you know it, you're like, I'm just smiling. And Sammy's a smiler, right? I realize I'm not a smiler. Uh, my wife's got, got me working on it. And, and it's just awkward to me. Uh, so I've been trying it recently, and it's, it still feels awkward. We'll all just be standing somewhere. And usually, I don't know, I, I, I'm trying to figure it out. Usually, I'm kind of, Julie says I have a, uh, that I have a, a problem with my, my uh, brow, that I do this all the time. She's like, are you in a bad mood? I'm like, no. Well, you should see your face, right? <laughs> but for this just feels awkward to me. Like, Anyway, but if, you, if somebody comes into a room like that, you know something about that person, right? Or you might have, there's always, there's like Mary on a mission, right? You know that person, they come in and Mary's just working it, you know what I mean? And you know that Mary has something to do. If she's your boss, she terrifies you because she's always like crazy. Then you might have another friend, right? We'll call him like Marty, the party starter. Like Marty, the party starter. He's the guy that always walks in, hey, yo, <laughs> right, right? And you just know wherever Marty's at. And if you have that friend, you find Marty really annoying because you're like, do you have have to scream hey yo every room you come into you know what I mean like you don't take him to funerals because that just gets awkward right everybody says hey yo who died it's not okay but you know a lot about people by the way they arrive in a room or just on the scene and so we learn a lot about Jesus and we believe here at Mercy Road that Jesus was the son of God that he is he was fully God and fully man so if you really want to know a lot about God and like maybe you showed up tonight because you're like, you know what? I'm going to go bonus this year. I do Christmas and Easter, but I'm going to give God a bonus week. I'm going to do Palm Sunday this year. But I'm just a little bit nervous about inviting God into my life because I'm a little nervous about how he is going to arrive. Well, I hope that by the end of tonight, maybe you'll, you'll feel a little more comfortable with the concept of possibly inviting God into your life. Because if you look at his two big arrivals, the triumphal entry and Christmas, there's really nothing to be afraid of. In fact, it's, it's quite endearing. So let's jump into it. Let's jump in. It's in Mark chapter 11 is where we'll, we'll journey today. And let's just jump into the story. Mark chapter 11, starting with verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, 
and we'll send it back here shortly. Then they went and found a coal outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that coal? And they answered as Jesus had told them and the people let them go, which I think is awesome. If this was a scene in a movie, it would be awesome, right? If the disciples are coming in, they're like, is this the, is this the one? I mean, it looks like it. Is this it, right? And they don't know the people, so they're basically stealing the little baby donkey or small donkey, right? And the people are like, what are you doing? And the disciples are like, uh... Jesus needs it? And they're like, oh, okay, cool. That's no problem, right? I mean, it would be, it, it would be interesting about that. Let's keep going. All right, so uh, they, they get the donkey. Let's see here. Uh, so they get the colt, and when they brought it the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut from the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Now, let's jump into the story and get a little more detail. It says that Jesus mounted the colt, all right? Dana Byers is preaching tomorrow and she did some just amazing research and I stole all her research. So thank you, Dana, for doing great research this week, right? But the original word there is the word polos, which means little donkey or small horse, okay? Little donkey or small horse. So here is Jesus arriving, the king of the, the universe, right? He's God himself and the parade they host to bring him in and welcome him to the city He's not riding a Clydesdale. It's not one of those big, you know, Budweiser type horses or a, a, a gallant steed, a stallion. Like, think about like a mini horse. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't watch Parks and Recs, but this week everybody kept talking about little Sebastian, right? I don't know if you watched that. Like, like Jesus is getting on a small donkey. I mean, his feet may have been dragging the ground. I mean, just think about it. Like, whenever we have this picture, like in Sunday school, if you grew up, you may have seen the triumphal entry, and it looks kind of... But think about Jesus. He's riding a miniature horse into the city, and, like, he, he could look people in the eye. Like, he's not up on a huge horse, like, yes, thank you, bow down to me, be afraid of me. Like, he's cruising along with his feet dragging on the ground like this. How you doing, Jesus? You know, I'm here. I'm here to die for your sins. I mean, the, the scene itself is a little bit interesting, isn't it? It tells you something about what he was trying to communicate to the people that he was going to meet. And if it's not awkward enough with the little donkey, how about his entourage? Okay? If you go to see a great public, a political figure, whatever, in a parade, Right? They're going to be all the dignitaries and celebrities and marching bands and just lots of awesome stuff to let you know this guy or this girl is a big deal. Jesus has his entourage of probably the 12 disciples who weren't impressive. Right, They were ordinary unschooled men. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They weren't, I mean, shepherds, they, they weren't a, 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 an impressive bunch. And then maybe Jesus even had some of the people he had healed or helped out. Maybe he had a couple lepers that he had, that he had healed. Maybe a few of the prostitutes that, that he'd let out of that, that lifestyle. I mean, can you just see it if you're there? You're like, hey guys, I hear Jesus is coming. And then you see a guy on a miniature donkey with an entourage of people where you're like, is that Stacy? Like, what is what is she doing in the parade route, right? Like, does Jesus know about Stacy? right? The whole thing would have been odd for you to see. 
that that's who's in his entourage. He's riding a miniature horse. But the crazy part about it is it actually was prophesied a long, long time before this even happened. In the book of Zechariah chapter nine, it says this, the coming of Zion's king, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, the cool thing about Jesus is he is victorious and mighty. But in his life, he somehow manages to, to, to bring meekness and mighty, to, to, to mix power and at the same time humility, that, that he can actually move with vulnerability and humility, but yet be God himself. So if you're concerned about what, what's God's posture if I were to invite him into my life, well, it would be something like this. He would humbly look you in the eye. And if you think, I don't know if I'm, if I'm the kind of person that could be in like Jesus's parade, you can, no, no, anyone is included in that parade. Or what about Christmas? What about Christmas? How about that arrival? The other big arrival that we, that we celebrate. I remember about, I don't know, almost a decade ago, I, I may have told you guys this story before, I'm not sure. One night at, at Pub Theology, one of the ministries that I get a chance to be a part of, we do a text Q&A time where people can text questions in. And we got a text one night and it said, how am I supposed to work on my relationship with God when I think he hates me? Which you may be here tonight and you can't text it in, but maybe that's what you thought when you were driving here. So this is proof, God, you hate me. You're making it snow in spring like this, okay? I thought that in the way you're at um, But that text came through and it, and it stopped me in my tracks and it was around Christmas time when it came through. And I remember that night, I said, you know what? If you believe that God hates you, you just have to look at Christmas for it to prove that he doesn't. Because if I was the God, the almighty God of the entire universe that created and sustained the whole world, and I was going to show up in the presence of people that I was really mad at and hated, I would not have shown up as the most vulnerable and humble expression or manifestation of humanity. If I'm God and I hate you and I want you to be scared of me, I'm going to show up with lots of lightning bolts and fire and stuff and I'm going to be big and it's going to be scary so that you are scared and know I hate you. But if I love you and I want to remove every barrier and obstacle that is keeping you from knowing my love, I'm going to show up as humble and as vulnerable as I possibly can so that you're not scared but you can know my love. We see it at Christmas. We see it in the triumphal entry. You say, all right, Darren, I like that. I like that. But what's the agenda? If I decide to let God in my life here this Easter season, what's the agenda? Well, let's get back into the story and see what the agenda was here. The next day, they wake up the next morning. The next day they were leaving for Bethany and Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not in season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say this. Interesting note, pause. We're going to come back to why Jesus yelled at a fig tree in a minute. 
Story goes on. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise to the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house would be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Then the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. See, Darren, Whoa, whoa, I knew it. I knew if I let God in my life, he's going to freak out, right? Because this is Jesus' freak out moment. And one of the other gospels talks about that he actually made a whip out of leather and started whipping the animals. I mean, imagine the scene. It's pure chaos. Jesus has walked into the, it's actually called, this area of the temple is actually called It's called the court of the nations or the court of the Gentiles. It's about 36 acres of space. And it was where all the animals would be for the Passover sacrifice. And during Passover, they might might actually sacrifice over 220,000 lambs. This is crazy. One author said it's basically, imagine the New York Stock Exchange add thousands of animals. That's how crazy it is. And Jesus comes in and he's flipping tables over and he's knocking baskets out of people's hands and he makes a whip and he's whipping the animals out. He is going berserk. And what you're thinking right now, see, Darren, I told you, you say he's going to come in humbly. If I let him into my life, he's going to flip some stuff over. And maybe you people that go to church often, you, you got your things buttoned up, but, but under the surface, my life is, it's chaos. And that's why I keep God at a distance, because I know that if he comes into my life, he's going to go nuts. He's going to disrupt the way that I have my life planned, the stuff that I like to do. He's got a bunch of these and thous and those and rules that I got to follow. So I'm going to keep God at a distance, because I know that's what he does when he gets into people's lives. But see, you got to understand the context to see the heart that Jesus had. Because as he walks into the temple, he walks into that, the court of the Gentiles, which was designed for anyone who was not Jewish. That was the place that they would come to be able to worship. And Jesus was really passionate about people that didn't know about his love, getting to understand it, to come to know God. And that was the place set apart for them. And what happens is he walks in and sees that the Jewish people, right? They were supposed to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to be the people in which God's message comes to the whole world. And he walks in and sees with all of your religious garbage you guys have brought in here, you're not a light to the nations. You're distracting everybody that has come to try to know about me and my love by your crazy, distracting, money-hungry religion. And so his anger isn't at people. His anger is at the system that is creating barriers and obstacles for people to know about his love. And if you want to know God's agenda in your life, his agenda is going, if you invite him in your life, his agenda is to find any obstacle or barrier that is keeping you from understanding his love and his healing and his forgiveness. And he will be very passionate about removing those. Why? Because they destroy your life. Because you were created for and by love to enjoy the love, the companionship, the forgiveness of God. It goes a little further than that. Let's get a little deep. 
I know some of you guys were driving here in the snow and you thought, if I could just get some deep theology tonight, that would really hit the spot. So let's do it. The other thing Jesus is doing here is he's driving out the animals that were there for sacrifice is he's basically saying, I am replacing this system of religion for a completely new system. In fact, it's not a system, it's me. I have arrived here in Jerusalem to replace this animal sacrifice system you guys have had for thousands of years. Now I've come here and I am going to be the sacrifice. And so I'm going to move all these things out of the temple because now I am the temple of God. That's why later on when Jesus says, you can destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. He was talking about himself. So here's what Jesus is doing. Let's jump in and we're going to get a little deeper into this, go into the book of Hebrews, all right? The book of Hebrews chapter 10 unpacks what Jesus was doing as he's replacing the old system for the new system. It goes like this. The old plan was only a hint of the good things in the new plan. Since the old law plan wasn't complete in itself, it couldn't complete those who followed it. No matter how many sacrifices were offered year after year, they never added up to a complete solution. If they had, the worshipers would have gone merrily on their way, no longer dragged down by their sins. But instead of removing awareness of sins, when those animal sacrifices were repeated over and over, they actually heightened awareness and guilt. The plain fact is that bull and goat blood can't get rid of sin. That is what is meant by the prophecy put in the mouth of Christ. You don't want sacrifices and offering year after year. You've prepared a body for me for a sacrifice. It's not a fragrance of smoke from the altar that whet your appetite. So I said, I'm here to do it your way, O God, the way you described in your book. When he said, you don't want sacrifice and offering, he was referring to the practices according to the old plan. When he added, I'm here to do it your way, he set aside the first in order to enact a new plan. The new plan, God's way by which we are made fit for God by the once for all sacrifice of Jesus. That's what happens on Good Friday. Every priest goes to work at the altar each day, offers the same old sacrifices year in and year out, and never makes a dent in the sin problem. As a priest, Christ made a single sacrifice for sins, and that was it. Then he sat down at the right sat down right beside God and waited for his enemies to cave in. Listen to this, listen, listen. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. By that single offering, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. The Holy Spirit confirms this. This new plan I'm making with Israel isn't going to be written on paper. It isn't going to be chiseled in stone. This time I'm writing out the plan in them, carving on the lining of their hearts. And he concludes, I'll forever wipe the slate clean of their sins. Once sins are taken care of for good, there's no longer any need to offer sacrifices for them. What's the agenda? The agenda is a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. You see, what Jesus did is he entered Jerusalem and on Friday he was crucified, willingly gave his life to be the perfect sacrifice for all of humanity's sins. 
and then he came back to life on Easter morning, what has happened is that he has atoned for all of your sins. Meaning that when God sees your life and all the things that you think about that bother your conscience, that you think I can't allow God to arrive in my life because of all this stuff that's either been passed or that is present or that I'm concerned I'm gonna do in the future. God doesn't see you in your sin and your problems. When you believe and receive and, and put trust in the sacrifice of Jesus, God sees you through his son. And he says, forgiven, made perfect. He says, that's a son, that's a daughter of mine. I don't see their sin. I see the sacrifice of my son. I see that they've been made new. See, Jesus perfected the system and brought a new system in for you and for me. And here's the deal that trips me out about this passage. It says that Jesus comes into the temple and he starts flipping over tables. He makes a whip and he's whipping the animals, driving them out of the temple. He's knocking down baskets out of people's hands. He's creating mass chaos. And in just until this week, I guess in my brain, I thought that Jesus came in, knocked everything over, made everything crazy, and then just cruised out. And it was just a small little moment. But it seems from this passage that he did that and then stayed and taught the people for the most of the rest of the day. Because as they leave, it's evening. And it says that the people that were still there to listen, that were in the court of the Gentiles, men, they would have been non-Jewish people. When Jesus clears out all the religious junk out of the way, the people that are there interested, curious about maybe a connection to God, they listen to Jesus and they're amazed by his teaching. They're not scared. They're not running they're not terrified by this angry God that's flipping over tables. They sit the rest of the day and are amazed by what he is saying. And I wonder if it's maybe that they, maybe they didn't know how they knew it, but maybe as they had come in that morning and they saw the absolute circus of religion that was between them and the God they had heard that loved them, maybe something in them got angry. Maybe something in them, even if they didn't know how they knew it, was saying, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And maybe that's your story. Maybe your parents made you go to a Christian school growing up. And you didn't want to go there. And you heard about this God, this story, but there was a bunch of religious garbage that got in your way. And you got real sick and tired of religion, but you've still been curious about God. Maybe you went to a church growing up that loved the show, loved the prominent places of authority, loved to control people with fear and with rules and condemnation do this right, don't do that right, don't wear that, have your hair like this, no makeup, no rings, stand now, kneel now, cross this, throw this, whatever the, the rules, whatever the, the dog and pony show of religion was that you were around and you said, man, there's something about Jesus that really is attractive, but I can't stand the show and everything that's a distraction. And so until tonight, you said, Jesus, you can stay there. I respect you, I'm curious, but I'm not down with religion. 
it's why I meet people all the time, whether it's at Pub Theology or through our radio show, and they say, oh, yeah, I'm just not very religious. Oh, you're, you're, you're religious, huh? Nah, not me. Well, neither was Jesus. In fact, when Jesus saw religion that got between people that he loved and created from an understanding of his love and how he wanted to be with them and guide them and direct them and forgive them and be the leader and the coach and the teacher and the friend of their life. It drove him nuts. So what's his agenda in your life? His agenda is to find every barrier and distraction that comes between you and him and remove it so that you can know the God that created you on purpose and for a purpose. He created you with love, for love and by love. And he wants to invite you into living the life that he created you to live. This week I was brokenhearted. A friend of mine posted um, an article on Facebook. She grew up in a cult, although she didn't know it was a cult until she was in college. She was in a world religions class, actually, and she's flipping through the manual, the, 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 the whole thing about here's the cults of the world, and she flips the page, and here's her church. She calls her mom, and she says, Mom, were we in a cult? And her mom is kind of hymns hall. Yeah. And I've had many conversations with her. She's still at a place where I think she would say, I think she would say she wants nothing to do. I know she wants absolutely nothing to do with religion. And I think she may still be at a place where she really doesn't want anything to do with God because for her, she was in such an upside down, disgusting expression of religion that she can't separate the two. And it breaks my heart because it keeps her from knowing the God that loves her passionately. I've been going to church since I was a week old. The church that I grew up in was real legalistic. And um, and it still takes me a lot more time in my life than I would like it to, to figure out where religion stops and Jesus starts. And so if you're here tonight and, and you brought that pain with you, and I want you to know that God's heart breaks for that. And I can tell you from 40 years almost now following Jesus is um, if you trust him and you invite him in, he's really, really really gentle about walking you to a place to say, oh, no, no, son. Oh, no, 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 daughter. That's religion that man made up to try to control and manipulate people. And we're not going to do that. We're, we're going to do relationship. If that's you tonight, I want to encourage you to, to have the courage the vulnerability to say, you know what, Jesus, if, if there's an understanding of you outside of religion that looks like a relationship, I, I'd be willing to, 
to experiment with that. Because you see, if you do, you actually step into a really great adventure. Let's go back to the fig tree. Little odd moment. I don't know if Jesus got a little hangry. I know my wife gets hangry. I don't know if you get hangry in the house tonight. You know what I mean? Like you're good and you can get angry, but then if you're hungry, then all of a sudden you're like, I don't know what has happened, but you, you are not the same human being you were three or four hours ago because you got hangry. So I don't know if this was a hangry moment for Jesus. I don't think it was. He didn't curse the fig tree because he was just hangry, right? He cursed the fig tree because, you see, here's the cool thing about these figs, is this tree had leaves, which is if Jesus saw it, he would have been like, oh, this tree is in season. Let's go get something to eat. And here's the deal. It's not supposed to be in season, but here's the deal. The actual Middle Eastern fig trees, thank you to Dana for studying Middle Eastern fig trees this week. I didn't know this till this week, so it's kind of like Bill Nye the science guy here, okay? But as leaves were starting to come into spring before the figs showed up, the branches would bear these little nodules that would have been good to eat. They weren't full figs, but they could have pulled them off and they would have been good to eat. So Jesus was expecting leaves mean they're going to be the nodules. He gets there and it's not there. And so he curses the tree. And the next morning, it says the the disciples go up. And it says, when the evening came, Jesus and the disciples went out of the city. And in the morning, they were along their way. They saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, it's it's a fig tree you cursed yesterday. It's withered. Jesus says, have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their mind, but believes that it will happen that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you, ask in, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against someone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Here's the deal. Jesus is passionate about this fig tree because it's a poser. It's posing like it's doing what it was created to do, but it's not. Right, it's on the outside, it's saying, hey, look, I'm a healthy fig tree, but there's decay and disease actually in it because it's not producing that which it was created. And Jesus says, listen, I created fig trees and here's the deal I know about it, is if you're not gonna do what you were created to do, you might as well just wither and die. You and I were not created to make figs. You and I were created to love. You and I were created to create. You and I are created in the image of God to join and partner with him to see the world that's on his heart and on his mind actually happen. And what Jesus says is, I'm really passionate about removing barriers and then I'm really passionate about inviting you into the adventure to become who you were born to be. And there's two ways that we hide from our, from our, our God-given purpose. The first one is through religion. That's where we learn to do church and religion stuff real good. We still don't know Jesus. The other way that we do that is through rebellion. And that's when we go do whatever the heck we want and just try to stay as far away from God as possible. Both religion and rebellion lead us to lead, lead a life as a poser. We're not everything that God created us to be as a human being. We're just religious or rebellious. And tonight what Jesus is saying is, hey, I came to arrive into your life. And what I'd like to invite you into is a relationship. So we're going to close tonight. And, 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 and that's the deal. That you'd be willing to accept the invitation from Jesus to, to begin a relationship. The arrival is, is loving and humble and vulnerable. The process is for the rest of your life. Step by step where he gently and humbly says, hey, you know what? 
that thing there, it's a, it's a distraction and it's a barrier from our relationship. And then he actually gives you power and strength to remove that. And what I'm getting to understand is then every day is stepping into a relationship with Jesus and saying, hey, what are we going to do today, Father? And you begin to step into the plans, the mission, the adventure he created you for. And here's the cool thing. One day you die. And guess what? There's no fear. There's no, no terror. There's just a peaceful understanding that because of what Jesus did, I'm just transferring into a new eternal existence, enjoying this relationship that I've already been living on earth. If you don't have that connection, Jesus says that he actually loves you so much that he won't even force himself upon you in death. That if you don't want to be in his presence on earth, and you probably don't want to be in his presence in heaven either. And he actually gives you the power and the ability to say, I don't choose to follow you on earth. And he says, then you don't have to follow me into heaven either. The Bible calls that hell. It just basically means it's an eternity completely separated from his presence. And I believe that he sent me here tonight to tell you, that you don't have to do that, that you can actually begin now living the life that he always created you to live. So stand with me. I'm going to give you an opportunity. They're going to do this a bunch for Easter, but you're a week ahead. This would be a great night for you to say, hey, you know what? Palm Sunday is about the arrival of Jesus. You know what I did in 2018? I invited Jesus to arrive in my life. So every head bad, every eyes closed. Let's, let's, let's make this a respectful moment just for people to kind of have some time with God. I'm going to give you about 15 seconds just to maybe think and pray. The arrival will be meek and mild, loving, gentle. The agenda is going to be to remove the things from your life that are keeping you from understanding what it means to be loved unconditionally and eternally. The adventure is going to be you learning to love those around you the way Christ has loved you and to become who you were born to be. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, maybe tonight you'd say, you know what, Darren, it's Palm Sunday. I'd like, I'd like God to arrive in my life. If he can actually do the things that you said he can do, if he actually, if that's the agenda... I'd like that. So on the count of three, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand. It's a step of faith. It's a step of courage just between you and me and God. Say, Jesus, I'd like you to arrive in my life. Palm Sunday, 2018. Would that be you? If it is, raise your hand here. One, two, three. Throw your hand up. Yeah. One, two. I see your hand. Put those down over to the right. Anybody? Yeah, I see you in the back. Anybody else? Amen. Praise the Lord. During the next song, if you raise your hand, here's, here's what you can just pray. Something really simply and really, really just in your own words. You can say, Jesus, uh, I welcome you into my life. 
Please forgive me for anything that, that, that has got between you and me. Forgive me for my sins and, and teach me to live life the way that you created it to be lived. If you prayed that prayer, we'd like to know about it. We got people in the prayer room that can pray with you tonight. Maybe if you came with a friend, talk to them about it. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. You're among friends who many of them for a lot of their life have figured out the best way to live is exactly the way that Jesus created it to be lived.